Connect with your potential customers wherever they are. Effective uses Comcast viewership data insights to combine advanced targeting capabilities with premium TV and streaming content so you can deliver the best ad experiences to your audience no matter how they watch. Visit EFFECTV.com. Welcome to The Grit Daily Startup. I'm your host, Sebastian Rusk, and this is a podcast about what goes on behind the scenes at startups. The good, the bad, and the gritty. Let's dive in. Dr. Tiffany, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Good to see you. I was tempted to say welcome back. (laughs) (laughs) So thanks thanks for taking some time out of your day to uh, hang out with us for a few minutes here on the Great Daily Startup Podcast. We love to talk about the world of uh, startup, uh, the good, the bad, and the gritty. So I'm curious to to hear what your experience has been in that. But before we do all that, let, let's back up a little bit and help our listeners better understand uh, a little bit more about you and your backstory and what really brought you into present day with what you're currently working on. Okay. Well, I would say a long time ago, I started out being inside the boardrooms and I was the least educated Um, the youngest, the least paid, but I was working on a National Institute of Health uh, grant that was leading a a major university and medical school program. I went from an office assistant to leading it within under four years. And the rare times that I spoke up in these boardrooms, no one would literally say anything. So I was super invisible in the rooms. However, 20 minutes later, somebody much more prominent would say the same exact thing, and suddenly it was brilliant. Right, so that was a good data point. Ten years after that, I'd be in corporate America leading DNI from the ground up. I remember my first corporate role; it was around thirty-five thousand employees, uh, working so many hours a week, developing initiatives at this time before they were even considered best practices. And I remember in the metropolitan city I was I was residing in, I would ask if I could sit on the panels after listening to them for you know for about a year and a half, and realizing nobody was really sharing anything that was necessarily new or different. And I was making huge headways with no budget, one person department. And I was declined because I guess I wasn't, you know, well known um, at the time. 10 years after that, um, I'd be in the boardrooms developing and leading the executive teams with DNI, with their leadership, with their strategies. And so I thought it was time to, you know, um, go out on my own. Uh, 2013 is when I started my business. Amazing. And so what, and what have you been primarily focused on since you, your, your business? Let's talk a little bit about what you, uh, what you launched back in 2013 and what your primary focus has been. Sure. I remember launching and at the time realizing it was important that if we were going to do this work of diversity, equity, inclusion, and leadership excellence, then we had to also model that as well. And so I was working for individuals that weren't necessarily modeling that. And that was um, that was impacting my idealism about what this work was intended to do, right? Sure. And so I really um, help uh, executive teams figure out what it means to lead DEI. And I'll, I just say DEI for short. <laughs> um, what it means to be credible behind their statement, and what it means to be congruent behind that statement in their decisions. And I find that there is a disconnect between understanding the words and the definition and the statements that that are the company values on their walls versus how they're leading it and the decisions that they're making. 
Amazing. So, yeah, and, and as things continue to progress and improve in both the workplace and the world on, you know, the whole idea of diversity, exclusion, and or diver. Okay, we're, I'm going to let you say it. I'm, I'm going to mess it all up. <laughs> do, you you see, see? do you see why I just say the acronym? <laughs> well, I know that, I think, but for some people that may be listening that may have been living true. underneath a rock, I wanted to make sure we defined yes. it for them. Absolutely. So diversity, equity, and inclusion. And I will say some um, some companies are adding belonging. So some people heard D-E-I-B. I don't add belonging in because the way I define it, it's already encompassed in inclusion. So if right. you don't have belonging, then inclusion isn't going to happen. So um, diversity, equity, inclusion. Sure. And um, so and what are some of the things that you guys have been focused on as of late, especially over the past, you know, three years, this conversation has been escalated, uh, which is an incredible thing. That's it's a much needed thing. It's a well overdue thing. But what are some of the things you guys have been primarily focused on over the past three years as this conversation has really started uh, to come to light and be even more important? Um, the last three years, I have been paying attention to what the trends are, right? We've been reading for several years, why is DEI failing? And what I was noticing were the same answers kept coming up around diversity training, um, accountability, leadership. So I ended up going back through all the years of acquiring data for, let's say, analyzing their culture, analyzing inclusion. And I ended up answering a different research question, which was, why is DEI really failing? compared to what was being stated out there. And what I discovered was, or the emergence, what we refer to in research as the emergence of the death zone phenomenon. And what I found is, wow, the advocates who are very strong believers in DEI as executive team members serving as champions, sponsors, even DEI leaders, human resources uh, leaders, are also oppressing the advancement of DEI without, may not know that, right, unintentionally. So then through this, I ended up learning that there are five biases that are actually leading this work, but driving it into the death zone. And this is really critical because to me, this is a major breakthrough. So there are five biases that we are never talking about, rather than referring to demographics that we're teaching biases on, we actually need to go to the decision points that are being made for these programs, for these initiatives, um, and also uh, dismissing or discounting the advisement from the qualified professionals leading this work. So these five biases are, uh, I think, are huge. They're a major breakthrough. And I am hoping to be able to utilize these to actually change the game to say, okay, this is a decision-making problem from those in the leadership roles without the qualifications to be making these decisions on their own. Right. And what are those five things quickly? Okay. So the five uh, biases are compliance, which means we believe that because HR is trained in employment discrimination, 
it, they're a perfect match to lead it. And that's actually, it's a conflict of interest because they are there to protect the organization first. And because of that, it actually serves as a conflict of interest, which is why they usually uh, decide to not move forward with certain initiatives because they would expose them. The next one is advocacy. This is a huge one. If I'm an advocate for DEI, that means I'm qualified to facilitate efforts and I'm always going to make supportive DEI um, decisions. Not true. Uh, because the next one, intention. So we are promoting individuals into leadership roles who are managing people based on the premise that your intention to be committed to be an inclusive leader is sufficient enough to go ahead and lead. So that's similar to, you know what, you don't have to have your driver's license. We trust that you're going to eventually go on how to drive and get it, but go ahead and be on the road. That's the same exact thing that we're doing with managers um, today. So the safety and well-being responsibility of diverse individuals' careers are falling, are falling into the death zone as a result of that. And then experience. So that means because I'm marginalized, so as a female person of color, because I'm marginalized, that gives me the the that gives me the knowledge of how to lead DEI as well. And that's very different. So therefore, I'm put into position to um to make decisions for DEI without necessarily having the um, credentials of knowing change management, knowing organizational change, knowing how to do conflict management, all of that that this work entails, um, which is why that gets prevented. And then the final one, and this is the intersecting bias across all of them, is power, which means because I am in a position of power, this legitimizes and qualifies and authorizes me to make all DEI-related decisions. And this is the greatest conflict of interest because I hear over and over again stories upon stories from diversity practitioners and chief diversity officers that when they're putting analysis and information in front of those in power, and it's related to right, some form of bias, oppression, and, and so forth, that they are discounting it, removing it, and even removing them and then continuing to lead. Yes, yeah, so what a major problem. Yeah, absolutely. But what happens when when that power is leveraged the correct way? And these, you know, they, I think that these these efforts are going to move along a lot smoother. So uh, it, it's it's clear what your mission is here to be able to say, how do we switch the, the shift of power uh, towards yeah. towards making this a productive movement um, and, and and more of the norm versus there's someone in power that has to do something more than wants to do something. There's a big difference between those two things. Yeah, but you know what? The advocates, these were all advocates. So 80% of people who said that they want to do it, not that they have to do it, were also oppressing and all, you know, probably unintentionally and unconsciously. So there were 20% of the, of the 75 executives that were actually utilizing their power for purely advancing it without oppressing it. And it was interesting because there were five distinctive behaviors that came out. I'm just going to name a couple of them. Sure. One of them was there was humility for, I may be a strong advocate. I may even be someone who's experienced this and I don't have the qualifications. I need your help. So therefore I'm going to engage you as a thought partner so you can help me and help us make these decisions together. That was key. And so what you'll find is these individuals, the 20%, the, the learning happens differently and the change starts happening in a very different way that is felt and noticed by the workforce. So what is usually there's a major disconnect between the leadership and the, let's say, non-leadership or the workforce. So what the, the power is that 
they start being seen as credible leaders who are actually living these values, knowing there's tough decisions to make. We're not asking for people to be prioritized over profit. All that's being asked is that profit and, and people are being balanced and that whatever is on your wall, please just model that. And so you see engagement, you see motivation, you see more people getting involved and engaged who would not otherwise have been. And I think that's really huge. It really is. So how do you get the people that are in power that aren't really adhering to making sure this these efforts um, move along smoothly? How, how do you get that shift out? Is it a mindset shift? It is a, is it a is it a is it a personnel shift? What what does that look like? So there's uh, there's a couple. One for this shift to happen at a massive scale, we actually need a what do you call it? The critical mass sort of right uh, the sheer numbers of us all talking about this for the big powerhouse consulting firms to be talking about this, for them to actually now say, okay, we better pay attention, right? So that's the the more uh, macro scale. Then on the smaller scale, let's say micro, just one-on-one with it, with the executive team, it is shifting the reporting structure, right? Diversity, equity, inclusion should be reporting straight to the CEO. However, and I don't have an answer to this, uh, but it's a it's a dilemma I would I would like some some shared thought partnership in. So you know how this SEC is the audit, right? They serve as auditor, auditing controls um, for the finances. So as sure. the, the SEC auditors not report to the finance of an organization. So we actually need an external body to be a co to have co-shared authority so that the diversity individual, the diversity practitioner or leader has someone that is serving as an advocate for them and with them so that they cannot be oppressed or or minimized or their findings because it is um because the power can say no we don't want to right we don't want to deal with that so so we need an external body to to help support that advocacy absolutely well I mean, you guys are clearly doing work that matters here so and it's been quite some time and now the conversation is becoming more relevant has come you know even more uh, to to the top of 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 conversation within the workplace. Uh, sounds like your timing and your work is really uh, starting to pay off, and will continue to. What are you guys excited about as you round out 2022 and into 2023? This is what I'm really excited about. I haven't made this announcement yet, but I am seeking, or we are seeking, probably 25 executive teams over the next five years. I'm thinking five per year um, to specifically take on. Uh, this different strategy, I'm calling it my game-changing strategy that's addressing the five biases and also these other advocacy behaviors in a completely different way of dealing DEI that will contribute to research. And my goal is for it they, for this new strategy to become the new set of best practices. So that's what I'm most excited about. And I will be um, putting the information and, and kind of criteria together so I can start um, taking in um, request to see if they will be those individuals, those executive teams participating. Absolutely. Well, keep up the great work, Dr. Tiffany. It's always good to uh, to see and, and uh, hang out for a few minutes, learn what's going on in your world of D-I-E. Any final thoughts for our listeners? Um, final thought. For all of those who are doing this work, what I would say is Stay centered in your principles, know what you stand for and who you stand for and that and 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 follow that even in the toughest of times. And that is what will keep your stamina up to continue this great work. So please keep leading. Please keep um, doing this work. Um, it, it helps all of us. 
great final thoughts. Thanks again, Dr. Tiffany. Always a pleasure. Thank you so much. You got it. Until next time, friends. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of Grit Daily Startup. If you haven't done so already, make sure you're subscribed to the show wherever you consume podcasts. This way you'll get updates as new episodes become available. This podcast is brought to you by GritDaily.com, the premier startup news hub. More information at GritDaily.com. Once again, I'm your host, Sebastian Rusk. Until next time, friends. Connect with your potential customers wherever they are. Effective uses Comcast viewership data insights to combine advanced targeting capabilities with premium TV and streaming content so you can deliver the best ad experiences to your audience no matter how they watch. Visit EFFECTV.com.